0: Welcome to the Jesus Church Podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey.
1: I wasn't going to start this way, um, but just since this morning, the Spirit inviting me to keep it real. And I like to keep it real with you guys. I'm just a person that is seeking to follow Jesus just like you. And honestly, sometimes the prep into a Sunday is just like you're in the flow. You feel like you're in the pocket and you're just like getting inspiration from the trees and the city and the people and all the things. And then other weeks feel like a grind or it just feels like a battle. And I say that just to let you in of like this sermon, getting to this point this week has felt like a battle. And there's lots of reasons that I don't have time to go into that. Some of that is just some some of my own stuff that I'm journeying through. And some of that I really do sense is because we're starting in a new series today that I believe has so much potential for what God wants to do in this church to take us deeper and wider and what it means for us to be the church. And I just think the enemy doesn't like that. And that there's a real battle that's taking place. And so uh, we're gonna get into a letter uh, called First Thessalonians that Paul wrote. And in a couple of different letters that Paul the apostle writes, he talks about a couple of different times He he talks to the people and he's like, I'm really intentional about not just coming to you with words, with the gospel in words, but I want to make space for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit so that you know that this isn't just something that I think is true, but it is true. And so I say that because I just wanna make some space. Now, if you're willing to just go here with me to just create some space, I need to take a breath to center in on the reality that I don't do this in my own strength, that it's not about me. And I just wanna invite you into that just to prepare your own heart to say, God, I'm open. I wanna be soft to whatever it is that you might wanna put in front of me. And I wanna be responsive to that. Is that cool? If we just take a breath, lean into that. Great. I'm just gonna invite Holy Spirit, we just welcome you into this place. We just say thank you that you are Emmanuel, you're God with us. we just collectively say that we want to go wherever you want to take us this morning I feel like I've got some of those pieces but there are some pieces that I don't quite know yet so I'm trusting that by your goodness and by your power you're going to make known the truth that you want to take us deeper into this morning so come and have your way come and have your way and all God's people said amen Amen. In my prep for today, I came across this quote that grabbed my attention. In his book, Disappearing Church, Mark Sayers, he writes writes about the disdain that many people feel towards the church. And then he begins to kind of put language around what's driving the ideology behind that disdain and this growing desire among many to kind of see Christianity relegated to uh, history's garbage dump, if you will. He writes this. This ideology that's kind of driving this disdain views biblical faith through a narrow, simplistic lens in which Christianity exists as a powerful cultural straitjacket, restraining Western culture from freedom, pleasure, and progress. Think about that image, a straitjacket. A straitjacket keeping us from freedom, pleasure, and progress, things that we all long for and desire. So in case you were wondering what the general population's perception of you, there it is, it's a (laughs) straitjacket. Just let that sink in for a minute. When I read Sayers' words, it made me wonder about how much of our cultural critique of the church is based on the damaging and dangerous hypocrisy that often lives within the church. Stories about the mismanagement of money, abuse of power, lack of integrity, secret addictions, and salacious scandals taking place continue to circulate our news feeds and the church is no ex- exception. Stories like these are the topics of, of podcasts and docu-series that draw in thousands of listeners and contribute to this overarching angst, suspicion, and outright hostility that many people feel towards the church. And it's one thing to write, to read statistics about the decline of the church in America or to hear stories like these secondhand. It's an entirely different thing to carry the pain of that church hurt in your own story to know someone who has. As a high schooler, I remember asking my grandmother why she never wanted to come to church with us. And once my grandmother realized that my persistent invitations weren't wearing off anytime soon, she told me the story about how when she was newly married, she did go to church. One day, her and her husband, they even went over to the pastor's house for dinner. But unfortunately, it was at that dinner that the pastor made an inappropriate pass at her, which left her so wounded and so disillusioned, she never went back. Just a couple weeks ago, I sat across the table from someone who shared how her introduction to the church and the gospel was accompanied by the sexual manipulation and abuse of the one who invited her to come to church in the first place. These are just a couple of the different stories of, of those whose experience of church has led them to seek refuge outside of the church rather than seeing the church as the refuge to find healing and hope. And I would imagine that there are some that are even in the room right now who bear the scars or are carrying into these doors today the open wounds of church. And I just wanna stay from the get-go. If that's you, we're so glad you're here We honor the courage that it takes to walk through those doors again. And my prayer as we're getting into this series is that we would become a church that actually becomes a haven, a refuge, that that God's presence is so pleased to dwell in that the wound, the sting of that wound, and, and the heaviness of that burden gets lifted. That's the kind of church that I hope that we increasingly are becoming And as our teaching team was kind of praying and listening for what exactly God wanted to take us deeper into this fall, we had this collective sense that as we keep calling our church to embody this vision of becoming a unified, spirit-filled King Jesus family, we need to do some work. We need to do some work to help deepen the root system of what it actually means to be the church, especially in light of the mixed bag of experiences that most people have with it. We knew that First Thessalonians would be a great guide for us on this journey, which we're going to talk about uh, in just a minute. But in the midst of our planning and preparing our way through the book, we heard that our friends at Church of the City in New York were actually right in the middle of a series on First Thessalonians where they were asking really similar questions to the ones that we were asking. Questions like, what does it look like for the church to be a family in a world characterized by fear of commitment, hyper-individualism, and digital distraction?" Or or how do we call people to be and become the church when the church is increasingly viewed as an irrelevant obstacle to progress and a hindrance to humanity's quest to discover the life that is truly life? Or, Or how do we equip, like how do we practically equip our people to hold on to hope and practice steadfast fidelity to the person and way of Jesus in the wake of the cultural pressure of our secular age that seeks to relocate the source of authority away from God and into the self in order to discover one's identity purpose and value you know just normal questions that keep you up late at night (laughs) the ones that i refrain from saying to my barista when he says how you doing good really really good when we heard that, that a church that we deeply respect was also going after questions like these, and, and a, a church that in so many ways, guys, has been a forerunner in what it looks like to, to keep the flame of faith burning bright in a city of darkness, we decided that rather than trying to do our own thing, we were going to take this as an invitation to join in with the broader movement of what the Spirit seemed to already be up to. So Tim called up his friend, John Tyson, who's the lead pastor at Church of the City, and I got to connect with Keithan, who's still a dear friend of mine who works with youth at Church of the City and who many of you know and love because he worked here for a long time at a Jesus church. And they were both so stoked that we were going on a similar journey, a journey that is ultimately, to borrow their language, an invitation to rediscover church. That's the name of this series, Rediscovering Church. And John was actually even so generous to, to take the time to want to actually bless us and just kind of give a quick hello and blessing from his church to ours as we kick off this series. So take a look at the screen.
0: What is up, Jesus Church? John Tyson here. Wanted to just send you a hello from New York City, from Church of the City. And let you know how excited I am about your upcoming series on Rediscovering Church. There's so much confusion about the church today, so much cynicism about the institution, so much failure from its leaders, so many people with church hurt. Why do we even bother with the church? Well, we've got to get in touch and rediscover Jesus' central vision. Jesus said, I will build my church. The question is, are we going to be a part of building the church the way he wants it to be. So studying 1 Thessalonians, I think is one of the best ways to try and figure that out. And I hope this series stirs you with faith and hunger to be a part of what it is that God wants to do. We always say to people in our church, don't let somebody else's bad discipleship rob you of good discipleship. And you can't become a disciple of Jesus without being in community, being a part of the body, being a part of the church. So I'm just praying as you study this that God will give you vision, faith, and deep, deep resolve to build a beautiful church that honors Him in the world today. And I'm, I love what God's doing in your community. I love Pastor Tim, love his leadership and the journey that you're on as a community. I had some of your worship on this morning and uh, it was so great. So blessings to you, grace and peace to you as you lean, lean into this. And my simple prayer is that as you rediscover church, you'll rediscover the beauty of who Jesus is. So let me just pray for you guys as you kick this off. Father, thank you for all you're doing in your church. I just wanna pray that you will give us a heart to build the kind of church that you wanna see in the world today. I just pray that you'll give grace. I pray that you will heal church hurt and wounds. I pray that you release fresh vision for the beauty of the body of Christ. And Lord, as your word says, the bride has made herself ready. You would use this series to get the church ready for your beautiful, beautiful appearing. So we thank you for the power of your word. And I just pray that you'll bless at Jesus Church as they lean in. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. Grace and peace, folks.
1: Amen. Philip Yancey says this, all too often the church holds up a mirror reflecting back the society around it rather than acting as a window revealing a different way. That's the vision of the church in the New Testament, he writes, a colony of heaven and a hostile world. Here at a Jesus church, we don't wanna just hold up a mirror reflecting back the same brokenness that surrounds us. We wanna be a window church to the city of Portland that reveals a different way That's what we're inviting you to lean into over the next nine weeks. And in order for us to realize that vision, to to say yes to that invitation, it requires all of us in the room, not just the leaders of this church, but all of us in the room to lean in and say, I've got a part to play in that. I am a part of the body of Christ. And so this is an invitation, not just to us, but to every single individual in this room. And here's the thing, despite all her flaws and failings, which absolutely need to be acknowledged and addressed, I am convinced that the church is still God's plan A. The church is God's chosen vehicle to bring about his kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. So friends, now is the time. Now more than ever, we need to resist the temptation to get stuck in apathy or cynicism and instead lean into real rediscovering church so that we can become the kind of church like John mentioned that Jesus had in mind carriers of his kingdom a colony of heaven and a hostile world so like I mentioned first Thessalonians is going to be our guide as we go on the journey that was all a really long intro to get you super stoked and ready to lean in so now I'm going to have you stand up as we read the word this is first Thessalonians chapter one verse one Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the, church of to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and we continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, And your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, you can grab a seat. The only time Paul ever describes one of the many churches that he planted or visited as a model church is right here in this letter to the church in Thessalonica. Paul singles out this resilient, ragtag little church and says, hey everyone, pay attention. Pay attention to what's happening here. Pay attention to to how they're living and what it is that they're doing. And in order to really grasp what's going on here, we need to understand and, and, and understand why it matters for us today. We need to first do a bit of digging into the backstory. So first, we hear about Paul's travels to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. But before we get there, we actually need to zoom out for a sec so we don't miss the larger narrative of the story that's unfolding. So far in the story, Jesus of Nazareth has died, risen from the grave, and commissioned his followers to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus' parting instructions to his disciples are to wait for the Spirit, and then he pieces out which takes us to the upper room where about 120 followers of Jesus are huddled together in this room, most likely terrified, fearful of their lives because the person that they just spent the last three years following had just been crucified. And based on the customs of that day, they were probably next. So they're terrified. And it's in this moment that the spirit of God comes just like Jesus promised and they were filled that the people who were once in fear for their lives are then filled with the power of the spirit and boldness to go out and proclaim the gospel. One of the key players in this gospel movement was a man named Paul who spent the first part of his life dedicated to stopping the spread of the gospel at all costs even to the point of killing Christians. But after a radical encounter that he has with the resurrected Jesus, he spends the rest of his life preaching the very gospel that he once sought to silence. He goes from hunting Christians to becoming a Christian. And with his training in both the Mosaic Law and Roman education, Paul was perfectly positioned to bridge the gap between the Jews and the Gentiles, which led to his various missionary journeys around Asia Minor. On his second missionary journey, Paul and his co worker Silas find themselves wrongfully beaten and imprisoned in Philippi. If you were here a few weeks back, uh, you'll remember that this is the same prison moment where Paul and Silas worship in the midst of their persecution while they're in prison. And it's in the midst of their worship that God miraculously provides a way out for them. And then, right after their release from this prison, with their back still probably uh, open from the, the, the beating that they took still recovering from what just took place in the prison it's right after that that they find themselves in Thessalonica that they don't stop and enjoy a little R&R off the coast of the Aegean instead they get right back to it so let's zoom back in Acts 17 Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they arrive in Thessalonica and the story in Acts, you can read it. I highly encourage you to go check it out. They spend about three weeks in the synagogue teaching the gospel and proclaiming that Jesus is King. And it's important for us to note here that for the original first century audience, gospel was not so much a religious word like it is for us today. It was a political word. It was seen as, it wasn't seen as good advice about how to live your life or or some kind of formula for how you get to heaven when you die. The gospel was about good news, not good advice. It was about an event, something that happened that, that acts as this turning point in history. In the Roman Empire, when a new Caesar would come to power, they'd send messengers, these preachers, if you will, to every nook and cranny of the known world with a gospel or a decree of good news that went something like this. Caesar has ended the war. He's defeated the enemy, he's brought peace to the empire. This day now marks the beginning of a new era. Caesar has saved us, he's brought peace to our land. So pledge your allegiance to him and worship him because he is Lord. That was basically what the gospel according to Rome sounded like, but this guy Paul, he's going around preaching a different gospel. A gospel proclaiming that Jesus is the world's true Lord, that that Jesus actually defeated all of evil and death itself through his own sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection, which then set in motion a new era of human history, that this new reality that he referred to as the kingdom of God the kingdom of God which blurred the boundary lines between heaven and earth, this this place where justice, peace, healing and salvation was the new normal. This gospel, it wasn't just some warm and fuzzy sentimental message, it was subversive, it was provocative, It, it was transformational, turning the world upside down. Allegiance to this gospel was a threat to the imperial power. Thessalonica had what's called free city status, but the source of that freedom was directly connected to one's loyalty to Rome. This is why when people started responding to and accepting Paul's gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord and not Caesar, the crowd starts to get a little antsy. They actually get a lot more than antsy. They they start to revolt and this horrific persecution breaks out. Another layer contributing to the rising tension between these two competing gospels was the polytheistic religious landscape of Thessalonica. In this culture, it was normal to worship and make sacrifices to many deities. And the relationship with the gods was viewed more like a transaction, very much like, do this for me and I'll do that for you. And you could see these gods, these idols all over the city. And people would literally go up to them and make sacrifices, very much expecting something in return. And things would have been chill if Paul was just advocating for people to serve and worship Jesus as just one more God among many. But to say that Jesus is Lord is to in the same breath say that Caesar is not. And it was this exclusivity of Paul's ardent call to abandon the worship of all other gods for the sake of following Jesus, the one true God, that made it so outrageous and incited so much violence. That violence in Thessalonica escalated so much that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had to flee the city under the cover of night. And since they didn't have access to phones or email, they were just left wondering what happened to this church that they had just helped plant. They had no way of knowing what was going on there. And if you take time to read the letter, which I encourage you, it's five chapters. You can read it in one sitting. That's your homework for this week is to read the whole book in one sitting so that you get a context for what's going on. But you'll notice this consistent refrain in Paul where he talks about his longing to see the Thessalonians, this longing to be with his brothers and sisters. Honestly, it got to the point where he couldn't take anymore. He was tired of not knowing. He was so concerned over whether or not uh, the, the political revolt that was happening in the city as a result of their proclaiming the gospel was going to end up flattening out their faith. So he taps on Timothy and he's like, Timothy, you're in. I need you to go check on them. I need you to see how they're doing. We didn't get to finish up our time there. I need to make sure they're okay. So then he sends Timothy. Timothy goes, he spends time with them, and then it would have taken him quite a long time to come back and give a report. And, and to Paul's excitement, that report was one of, of the churches not just surviving, it's, it's thriving. The church in Thessalonica it isn't floundering, it's actually flourishing. And so it's in response to Timothy's report that he brings back to Paul and Silas that Paul then writes this letter to the church in Thessalonica that we now know as First Thessalonians. It's obvious that for people claiming that Jesus is Lord that this city is dangerous. It's hostile to the gospel of Jesus and the pressure for this little church to conform to the political, religious, and social ideologies and practices of the day would have been a felt daily reality that was intense. Does this climate sound familiar to you? I think in a lot of ways, Portland bears a striking resemblance to the city of Thessalonica. Just a couple examples, you know, I think despite their tendency to be a little less obvious in some ways, the idols of sex, money, pleasure, and comfort in our city are constantly trying to pull us into a kind of transactional relationship a transactional relationship where we think if we can just give a little more or work a little harder or look a little prettier, we'll finally make the amount of money we think we need to make us happy, we'll lock in that relationship that will make us feel valuable and desirable. If we give our part, then surely we'll get back what we want. Sound familiar? The exclusivity of our belief that Jesus is is not just a way, but the way, the truth, and the life is, is met with increasing hostility and the pressure to compromise in a city like Portland. It is a constant battle. But despite this, despite this, what feels like this gravitational pull into compromise And this you do you mentality in our city, I really do believe, I really do believe that the light of the gospel burns brightest in the darkness. I really believe that. And I think that in the opening lines of Paul's letter, he starts to open up for us this ancient window to help us rediscover church in our modern day. Check this out, listen to what he says again. We always thank God for all of you. We continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul, Silas, and Timothy thank God for the good report that Timothy brought back and as they pray for the believers in Thessalonica, he points out three things that are characterizing this church, work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And with the rest of our time, I just want us to look at these three things and notice two really important things Here's what they are. The first is that their response to the gospel is active, not passive their response to the gospel is active, not passive. These people received the gospel. Paul says they welcomed the message of the gospel. They received it. Typically we think that word received is like this passive thing, but but it's not. You you can tell by by the words that Paul is using that this is not a passive faith, it's active. They knew that the culture that they were living in required effort, endurance, Passive faith wasn't an option if they were gonna stand firm. And I I would just wonder if some of you don't feel some of that pressure that exists in our own city to conform, I wonder if we're just not getting in close enough. I wonder if we're a bit too comfortable in our echo chambers of belief. And maybe first and foremost, I I just wanna say, and this is even like an invitation that I feel the Spirit is inviting in in my own life, is if I feel like a little bit too comfortable, then maybe I'm not actually rubbing shoulders with people who don't know Jesus, people who think and believe differently than I do. Because if you are, if you are actively seeking to be in the world, but not of the world, as the scriptures say, you're gonna bump into some hostility. You're gonna bump into some disagreement. And as the church in Thessalonica models for us, it's going to take an active posture, not a passive one. So that's number one. Their response to the gospel is active, not passive. Number two, their work, labor, and endurance was sourced in the person of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, not the self. Man, we need to hear this. Their work, labor, and endurance, it was sourced in a particular person. Work, labor, and endurance have to have the right things fueling them. It's the only way that our, our lives will actually bear fruit that lasts. That's why Jesus in John 15 says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, what? You can do nothing. You can do nothing. Over the course of 17 verses, Jesus repeats this command to remain in him 11 times because he knows something about us something that I have a tendency to forget. And the the reminder is sometimes painful when I'm running just out of my own strength. He he says this so many times because he knows that if we try to outsource the strength, energy, and, and perspective that's needed for this work in ourselves, if we outsource all that's needed to stand firm in the gospel, in our own strength and striving, or in the approval of other people, we're gonna burn out instead of bear fruit. We're gonna burn out instead of bearing fruit that lasts. Now, Mark Sayers, we started off with that quote that where he talks about how that that ideology that's driving this this frustration, this hostility towards the church is like a straitjacket. That's the perception that many people have of us. Well, then later in his book, he starts to unpack what he believes is the remedy for the church. And this is what he says. He says, we cannot solely rely on the contemporary Western church's favored strategy of cultural relevance in which Christianity and the church is made relevant to secular Western culture. Instead, he says, we need to rediscover gospel resilience. To walk the countercultural narrow path in which we die to self and rethrone God in our lives as the supreme authority. In our culture of radical individualism, no other approach will suffice. No other approach will suffice. I believe that this church in Thessalonica is, is a call, is an invitation for us to rediscover gospel resilience. And to do that friends, we need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to fill us and fuel us in this work. Friends, if we get that wrong, we will burn out so quickly. We will burn out so quickly. We want to be a church that has its roots down deep in the power and presence of God. So the fruit that comes up out of this place lasts and brings nutrients and life to the city that we are planted in. We need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to do that. And we need to constantly look to Jesus. We need to constantly look to Jesus to rediscover what faith, love, and hope really look like.
0: Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at JesusChurch.org.